Hey, it's Mike, Sean, and AJ of the Confused Breakfast. If you love classic movies from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, we're the podcast for you. We just finished up May of Sways Uncaged. All Nick Cage and Patrick Swayze movies. Dirty Dancing, Donnie Darko, Face Off, The Outsiders, and National Treasure. Check us out wherever podcasts are found. You will be glad you did. What's up, bitches? Oh, can I pull that off? I don't know. Hi, I'm back from vacation. Thank you all so much for your patience and understanding. It is true what they say. A little time off, a little break really does help rejuvenate and renew new beginnings. So what better way, right? What better way to come back than with a special episode? And this episode is definitely a bonus episode. We've got Ask an Executive Producer. EP is what she will be called for this episode. And she has worked on a lot of good Bravo shows. Southern Charm, Jersey, Roni, Million Dollar Listing, Texicanas, if you remember that show. She did a brief stint on Vanderpump Rules. I think she just did a couple cast trips here and there. Um, She's also done a lot of pilots and developments and things like that. So she spoke to that because I've had quite a few people ask how that process works. Like how do new shows get made and pitched to the network and whatnot. So we go into all of that. And so I'm not going to waste too much time with this intro. But also before, you know, I got to do this before I go into the intro, please, if you haven't already, five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I know I'm a broken record, but it helps so much. And if you didn't already know, which if you listen to this podcast, you already know, but you can rate once a day on Apple Podcasts. I already do that because I'm psycho, but I want to get up to 4.9. I want to get up there. 4.9 on Apple Podcasts. Don't let those haters win, I say. I go in once a day and I rate myself five stars. No shame in my game. Also on Spotify, you can rate five stars. No review yet, but you can rate it. Okay, done. I love you guys. I mean it. Oh, sorry. One more thing. Sorry. I do have memberships available on YouTube. And members get to vote on bonus episode content. There's two levels. The first level, you get to vote on content. And the second level, the VIP queen level, you get access to bonus episodes early. And you also get shout outs. Oh, that just reminded me. Okay, this episode, I don't have time for shout outs. I'm very sorry. I'm just getting back from vacay. I hope you forgive me. I'm going to go do something special, though, in the membership area. So go to my YouTube channel, hit the join button, check the community tab. There are instructions there. Okay, now for real, getting into the episode. Love you. Mean it. Enjoy. All right, you will now be known as EP. Very mysterious. Very mysterious. Okay, so for the record, you did not work on this last season of Beverly Hills. No, I did not. I am not affiliated with season 12, 13, whatever season it is, I was not on it. But I have asked repeatedly this question because people have asked me and I also did wonder it. The big question on everyone's mind Mm -hmm. that you have such amazing insight about... 
is, how is there no footage of Kathy's meltdown? Mm-hmm. How do they not have something from the van? How do they not, or whatever they took home, we're assuming it was a production coordinated thing, right? How, how, because production was there at the club. Like, how is, how is there no footage? And the things you've said was like, oh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Only people who've worked production would know and understand. So please explain to these people. Regala. <laughs> um, look, I think that there, we have kind of talked about this a little bit and it is not surprising to me at all that there were not cameras, production cameras up recording video or audio in any way at that point in the night for a few reasons. Um, one is it was the last night of the trip. This was what, a four or five night trip? They had probably four crews running, which is four crews of two cameras and an audio and gear and lights. And when you travel on a show and you do a cast trip, especially when you're flying, to break down all of your gear, to check those cases into the airline, to then get them on the other side and build them again. And then at the end of the trip, you have to break down everything again. And it takes time. It takes time for one crew, let alone four of them. And I would imagine that the way that I would do it, and I'm sure the way that it was done there, is that as the last night of the trip, they were done. Like, you know, Kyle, Erica, Rinna, Kathy, they were going to the club, like, off camera. They had the GoPros already rigged in the production vehicle. That production vehicle, in all likelihood, after it dropped them off at the Caribou Club, went back to the PO, the production office, wherever the central kind of production hub is, And those GoPros started to get de-rigged and packed away like everything else. That packing had probably been going on Mm. for hours already that day because the way that you do cast trips, and I've talked about this on on, um, Reality Bites as well, but, you know, you stagger them so that if if you have a crew that starts at, you know, 8 in the morning to start shooting wake-ups at 9 or 9.30 – you, they have to work on a 12-hour day, so they're going to be wrapped by 9. And then you have another crew at, at 11, another crew at noon or 2, and so that you always have someone up, you know. And also you take lunch breaks, uh, crew meals six hours into a day, so mm. you want to make sure that no matter what time a crew is down or traveling or leapfrogging to the next activity to then receive the cast going, that you constantly have cameras available to you and up which means that you also have an exponentially larger amount of equipment and gear that you have to travel with. And traveling with gear is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just is. So that night, what I'd have to imagine is that, you know, this was the last night of the trip. They may have been planning on shooting little wake-ups, pack-up, leaving the next morning, but that's a one-crew thing. That is a go from room to room, get 10 minutes in each, do a little recap of whatever from the night before. You see them pack up. You see them leave, and then you're done. Honestly, in all likelihood, unless something big happens, you're not filming them in the car driving to the airport out. You're ending the cast trip on them, like, at the house, leaving the house. Sometimes that's not even included. You just kind of end it Hmm. on a night, and then you pick up the next episode with a new day. They're back from Aspen and all of that. Obviously, that is not what happened here. (laughs) So, at... You know, the fact that there were no GoPros rigged in that vehicle, not surprising. I also don't think that that vehicle is probably the one that went back to get them at the end of the night. Right. It may have been, but oftentimes when casts are off the clock and, like, they go out and they party, if they need to get home, we'll, we, production, we'll call them an Uber. 
Yeah. Like, no problem. Text us. All right, call an Uber. It's going to be there in X number of minutes. Gotcha. Um, occasionally, if there's still production, like production management, PAs, things like that, that are on the clock, then maybe we can send someone in a van or a vehicle to just go pick them up, bring them back, save the, you know, Aspen Uber cost. But they, I know there's also been mention of the fact that the production was with them. Yes. Here's the reality. And I can't speak unequivocally. I don't know who was with them. But if I were to guess, if it were our show that I was doing, after a very long and arduous trip, coming off the heels of a very long and arduous season, mm-hmm. if I were a producer, and different producers have different kind of rules about fraternization with cast, but I kind of want to see the Caribou Club. Yeah. It's a members-only club. When's the next time you're going to be able to do that? And if Kyle says, hey, come along, I bet it was like her talent producer or a field producer or a supervising or co-EP that was like, all right, yeah, I'll come for a drink. Why not? It was meant to be like off the clock, being like talking about the trip. And not for nothing, producers may also be there to make sure that if something happens, we know about it. Gotcha. That's, I'm not saying that that necessarily happened here, but I've definitely sent producers after an event where shit goes down. I send them off to the bar with the rest of the cast to be like, keep eyes, and if something happens, pull up your iPhones. Mm. So that's one piece. The reason why there wasn't GoPros in the van, well, that's because they were wrapping out production for the trip. The trip was over. This was done. They were going to do like a little button on what it. What you just said was interesting, though. They would pull out an iPhone to record something. Well, obviously they couldn't because at the Caribou Club, and I know I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's a members only club. There's strict mm-hmm. rules, no phones, no photos, et cetera. So no one's pulling out a phone without someone, Very true. someone on the staff at Caribou Club being like, put your phone away. Get There's that out of here. No cameras, yeah. period. But if production is with the cast, okay, so they're with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. The, let's say those producers see this going down. They see this huge Kathy meltdown. They're like, holy shit. Would they kick into gear and go, we need to follow Kathy and Rinna? Yes. Okay. 1,000%. If something bombastic happened inside the Caribou Club, regardless of what producer it is, Beverly Hills, Evolution, they have good staffs. Like, they, they staff good shows. I've worked on a little bit of, the, I, you know, I did Vanderpump for, like, a hot second on trips and things like that. Um, but I know a lot of people who work with them and for them, and they are a very good company. They hire good people. Uh, any producer, if something went down and they saw it, even if they couldn't pull their phone out in the club, they would have gotten them outside and started to film on it. Or at the very least, if Rinna was getting Kathy out of there, and I'm using bunny ears, to, you know, protect the masses and save her from herself, they would have been in that car with an iPhone. No question. Here's what I will say. If all of this happened the way that Lisa Rinna recounts it as, Rinna's not a novice. Rinna has been on the show for a long time. She is a veteran. She's not an OG. But in this iteration of Beverly Hills, she may as well be. Agreed. She has the entitlement to go with it. (laughs) However, I find it, and I've thought about this since it happened, I find it very hard to believe that if Kathy was melting down to the extent that she was, that that Rinna claims that she was, and saying the the things that she did, why Rinna would not take out her phone and not start recording necessarily video, 
but literally hit record on video and hold your phone at the at your waist. Put it in your pocket. Totally. Put it on a table. 100%. Start recording audio and Duh. just put it down. What the fuck are you doing? Because if it doesn't happen on camera, it doesn't exist. And she knows that. So and she, she thought knows that, that texting Erica was the evidence. That to me is as much of a, a guilty kind of, you know, the the bloody glove, if you will, as anything. Rina knows better. And frankly, Rena got sloppy. It was bad. Yeah. It was so bad. One of the other things that came up in the in, in the big investigation behind why there were no cameras turned on. Is this true mm. that cameras can only be turned on by EPs? No. No. Okay. So that was one of the things oh, that came no, up. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. So EPs any- are, are, like, EPs, I'm not in the field all the time. Gotcha. On a cast trip, I am, but, like, no, any, any producer... I mean, look, I guess every producer is different, but I've never known an EP to be like, I am the only one who can say roll on cameras. Gotcha. Your your camera guys can do it. Like, I've had camera guys. The best camera operators and DPs are the ones that are invested in and follow story. Audio as well. Audio guys are fucking great. They will be like, oh, I'm overhearing something. I just hit record. Or they'll be the ones who are listening to people who are not on camera and isolating their microphones to be like... Yo, so and so is actually talking about this over there. You may want to get a camera. Like, cool. They, that's the best crew. And a camera person, if they see something going off, they will just pick up a camera, hit record, and go. Obsessed. And if you don't have audio, they'll rely on the boom mic that you have on the on camera and just be like, "It's going to be messy. Let's go." Obsessed. So to answer that shortly, no, EPs are not the only ones who can roll on anything. I think that's what's fun about reality TV is that we try to make it, especially Bravo. Bravo tries to make it as polished as possible, mm-hmm. but we like a big sloppy moment where it has to be subtitled and oh yeah, you can't quite see what's happening. Like, give it to us. We like that because we do. It's appreci- real. It's raw. Yeah, we appreciate how nice and produced Bravo shows are, but when we when it has to be whatever we can get our hands on and it's. It's mysterious. We're like, yes. Well, and if you think historically, the best moments are ones that were not produced. Yeah. You know, it's always so funny to me, and I've talked about this before, is like the moments that are the most water cooler, the moments that are the most kind of talked about and have the most longevity. We, I say we as producers, we couldn't have written that if we tried. Teresa flipping a table, um, you know, Thomas in season three, throwing that dinner party, losing it on everyone and kicking him out of his house before an appetizer is served. Like, I think, you know, the things that are just not even concoctable. You can't produce someone to do that. That is just lots of alcohol and a reality star. A reality star. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to a fun one. Let's do it. This one comes from Bravo Wild Black. What is the most outrageous request? you've received oof from anyone in particular they didn't they didn't specify so Mm -hmm. if it doesn't maybe not even from a cast member maybe it's for i don't know i will say some some of the most more outrageous things that are requests that i've had like from higher ups you know the the hierarchy in a, a television production there's the EP, there's like myself, my staff, and those kind of boots on the ground and on the post side and the edit side of things. But above us, we have executives at our production company, and above that, we have our network executives. Um, I find that, or at least it's happened that, sometimes network and or company executives 
have a little bit of their head in the clouds or have unrealistic requests or expectations. Like these two people, I think by the end of the season, he needs to pop the question to her. He, they need to get engaged. And I'm like, they're barely dating a year. There is no way they're going to get engaged. Let's say more realistically and lower. Like, don't, do you think we can get him to like pop the question, like maybe take her on a trip? And I'm like, this is not The Bachelor. So no, <laughs> I cannot do that. Um, things that are just unrealistic. And, and you know, one of the things about being a producer, and it's not just about being an EP, but just a producer of any kind if you're working with cast, is that there is an investment in their lives, their quote-unquote stories. And their stories are really just facets of their lives that we're telling and that are unfolding in that moment in time or over those, you know, three, four, or five months. Um, and you are talking to them constantly. You're getting in their heads. You are understanding what's going on in their heads. So then when you have someone who's, you know, sitting in a nice cushy desk in a, in a high rise saying like, oh, let's have them do this. You're like, they would never fucking do that, yo. Like, it's just detached. not. It's detached. And it's, it'd be great if you want a scripted show, but that's not what these are. Yeah. You know, I think that's also a common misconception is that Bravo shows, especially, and I've spent a lot of time working with Bravo are very heavily produced and are very kind of scripted in a way. Mm. They're not. Like, are there times when we need to talk about certain topics or or kind of get certain points across to drive story? Sure. But we're never putting words in people's mouths. And it just doesn't work that way. So, yeah, I mean, outrageous requests from the network happen pretty regularly because it just feels like they're a little out of touch. In terms of a cast member's yeah, outrageous request. Yeah, like, what about, requests, like, diva requests? I feel like Craig would ask something. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was going through a Rolodex. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll come back to We'll it. come back. Let me we'll look back s- to we'll that. Circle, Let me make a note. Yeah. We'll circle back to that. That's a tough one. Okay, here's, here's one that I would love to be talked about because this happens all the time, especially in my comment section. So, mm-hmm. like, on Instagram... I'll post, you know, one of like the deplorable acts of a housewife, like sure, most yeah, yeah, Rina. yeah. It's and an easy one. My comment section will be flooded with people tagging Andy, like Andy, you have to do something <laughs> about this. Yeah. Um, now, in the case of how that's a bad example, because in the case of housewives, I know Andy has more power. Yes, but it'll be for like Southern Charm, Summer House, etc. How much? This was a question. The question was, who has the most influence on dropping a housewife? Okay. But I also want to tack on to that. What exactly is Andy's true power at the network? Because people do people do think that Andy just is the end all be all. If you tag him in a comment, <laughs> he's going to go, oh my yeah. God, you guys fired. Like if Catherine, if Catherine does anything, it immediately goes to Andy. And I'm like, right. I don't really think Andy has that much to do with it. So please speak on that. Yeah. So at this point in time, Andy does not have much to do with any sort of executive level decisions on anything outside of Housewives. He is still an executive producer on Housewives, um, but he's not the day-to-day like network executive that he once was. He's retained that in his exit deal with NBC, which now he almost has this hybrid of he has Most Talkative, the production company, and Watch What Happens Live, and he still is involved in Bravo and NBC Universal, but he's not, like, he does, you know, I'm sure he has an office there. He's not going to that office every day. Um, he 
gives notes on the episodes, essentially, and does manage certain housewives' personalities, especially if they're ones who were present when he was an executive. Because up until about, oof, it's, I'm going to try to pull dates here, probably up until about 2016, 20, it's been a while, like 2016, 2017, when Watch What Happens Live went from being a, like, just housewives after show to being a real machine of, like, five nights a week. Hey, he hosted Love Connection. He started doing other bigger gigs. He no longer was a day-to-day executive at Bravo. He was at one point in the earlier days the EVP of programming and development. So he was oh. a day-to-day executive. Okay. In the office, noting cuts, wow. talking to the talking to the casts. Like, you know, he was that. Um now he's an EP. I won't say in name only, but he those types of decisions are made by committee and by people who are I don't want to say higher up, but are in different positions in the network by the president of the network, by the the GM, by the head of programming, um, hmm. by the network execs who are assigned to that show. And every show has between two and three network executives assigned to it that are the ones who are noting the cuts. Um, and a lot of what goes into that, Bravo specifically, and a lot of I mean, other networks are like this as well. I can certainly speak to Bravo of it, but they're a re- very research-heavy network. They like to know the research on in the focus groups, in the ratings, in kind of the feedback before making any sort of big decision. Gotcha. That's kind of always how they've been. So when a season ends and after the, fina- the, the, the finale, after the reunion airs and it's done, they'll, the research department over at NBC Universal and at Bravo will hold a focus group for the season. And they will ask, uh, you know, a sampling of people, a ton of questions about individual characters, like percentage, essentially like approval ratings, um, like Mm. good, very good or excellent or likable or not so, you know, kind of a a five tiered system or and you see where they fall. Mm -hmm. Also, how they felt about certain storylines. What types Mm. of scenes do they like to see more? What what stories or people do you want to see more of or less of? And there are these like. 30-page decks that come out afterwards that are also a very useful tool engaging the audience's wants, appetite for, and what they no longer have an appetite for. And that definitely factors into the decisions as well. Um, you know, if with Rinna, Rinna's a fucking say, mess. Know, yeah, I was say, you know that's so, the next question. Like, look, I... I I do, I'm going to caveat this and disclaimer this saying I have no factual knowledge. However... <laughs> Just speaking from my experience and pontificating, if you will, those conversations have been going on for weeks, if not longer, and they are going to continue to go on. There's going to be many cooks in the kitchen of making this decision. It is not a unilateral decision. It is not Andy's decision. Um, It's not any one person's decision. This is a big one. Rinna is a veteran cast member. She's also, for the Beverly Hills franchise, a celebrity name, quote unquote. You know, there is cachet in that. Mm -hmm. She's Lisa Rinna. but she's also Lisa Rinna, who's very problematic now. And that's going to be something that I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to the wire. And even with what you were saying with the focus groups, mm-hmm. even if they are, even if their, quote, approval rating is low, it's still like, yeah, but are they a good villain? Right. It's like, do you hate them? But they ask questions like that. In the yeah, focus. So yeah, It's yeah. like, do you, do you just hate them or do you love to hate them? Mm-hmm. Because there are villains that like, you're like, oh, they're fucking awful, but I can't stop watching. Yeah. 
and, and that Rinna, adds value. Rinna obviously has moved to a new stratosphere. Yes. She's taken on, like, there was a point where maybe you could say that, but I think now we're all hitting, not we're all, there's still some very small percentage that still can stomach her, but. <laughs> Which I don't understand. We're, we're at, she's getting booed. Like, we're at like that level. coming out getting booed. And she's not helping herself. I mean, here's the thing. Grief affects everyone in very different ways. <laughs> having having outbursts <laughs> and maybe assigning emotions and projecting <laughs> them onto other people. Okay. But, like, you double and triple down, bitch. And, and not only that, you've got months since these things happen, and you're still doubling down. And you're still a disaster on social media. And you, she is problematic. She is a liability. She is problematic for the show. And if, look, I will say this, it's not my decision, but if it were my decision, she'd be out. Yeah. Keep Erica, because I want to see how Erica functions. Erica gets one more chance. One more chance. Last chance. Without Rinna. Yes. Because I want to see what that Because you like. get glimpses of old Erica. Yeah. Like, these last couple of scenes with Sutton were actually palatable. I really liked she and Sutton together when they were kind of starting to develop their friendship before the Rinna, Elton John bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Which so I just, weak. I just don't care about and don't care to talk about and I think it's stupid and it carried over for way too long um Erica gets one more shot yeah one more shot to like fucking get it together yeah show back up to like play ball and not try to be a caricature of a Scooby-Doo villain yeah to be fair I never liked Erica interesting because she was never honest with us that's fair did you, now, did you never like her once Ever. you realized nope. that she was not honest in hindsight or just throughout Great you question. could tell? Great question. I could always tell we were missing. She was hiding behind glam and a persona, which literally mm-hmm. she was. She created a whole, we, we fucking call her Erica Jane. Her name is Erica Girardi for the record. Okay? I want to know, what's her actual maiden name? I think we do know that. I'm sure we, uh. Fuck. What is it? Uh. Now I'm curious. Yeah, Google it. Um, but she, she always struck me as someone who was withholding information, withholding her authenticity. And then it was confirmed when she decided to be quote honest about the fact that she was unhappy with Tom. I'm like, well, we could have told you that. What is it? Uh, Chahoy? Chahoy. I knew that. That I'd never heard. You hadn't? No. I did know that. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, I never liked her, but now that she is being honest with us because she has no choice to say like, yeah, I actually, well, you know, whatever she's saying, I hated Tom. We're like, at least you're saying that. At totally. least we can stop pretending like you loved him that much. Um, but yeah, no, I never liked Erica. Interesting. But Interesting. I would, I'm very excited to see, I, if they give it to us, I'm very excited to see what it's like without Rena pulling her Rena's got to go. Rena's got to go. Rena's got to go. Erica, I'd give another shot to... Um, I did, by the way, get a ton of, as you know, I got a ton of people asking, what do you think about what the casting is going to be for Beverly Hills? And I know everyone wants this answer because trust me, I want the relief too. We all want the answers. We all want to know. Those are happening behind closed doors. We just want, uh, everyone is just, no, I don't think I've ever waited for a cast announcement more more anticipation than this one. Because I I have vowed not to watch if Rena comes back. I don't know if I can keep it now. I don't know if I can stomach watching her, but then it's weighed against the because the fact that I do. think that Garcelle is one of the best housewives to ever be on a franchise, Agreed. and that's a really tough dichotomy to play with. And if they do decide to bring back Denise, she'd never come back. She's begging to. 
Is she really? Oh, she's fucking on. But without Rinna. No, with Rinna. Oh, she's that desperate now. That's what I said. That, yes. That she's like, she said, I'll come back even if the cast stays the same. Oh, shit. Meaning, <laughs> I really miss that paycheck. Yeah. That's what she's basically But said. not for nothing, I'll tell you this. Again, this is just my opinion. They're not giving her that paycheck again. Like they did the first they time after so, the way oh. that she treated them that second season. Mm-mm. They're like, girl, you're you not getting that. Three, your power, I think honey. it was what? It was a $3 million. Was uh, it? I, I don't, I think it was a million or two million or three. I can't fucking remember. It was a lot of fucking money mm-hmm. and she was fun the first season, but that second season, mm-mm. she didn't understand what the, she literally did not understand the assignment. No, she did not understand the assignment. She tried to back channel. She tried to shut it down. She tried to kind of pull strings and it just does not work that way. And not for nothing, networks overall and Bravo specifically do not take kindly mm-hmm. to cast members trying to puppeteer their image behind the scenes and be inauthentic and they hold a grudge. Yes. And that grudge takes it out on their paychecks. Yes. By the way, you earn what you get. Like, Denise came in as one of the highest paid first time housewives of all time, understandably so. She's Denise fucking Richards. She did a great job the first go around and then when shit got real, it all fucking went, to, went away. And she, she shut, put the shutters, closed the shutters up. She tried to deny. She, it was lies, cries, denies. It was and bad. Bad. Really bad lies. Yeah. I just want, it, okay, I can't even go down this road. But by the way, who did the exact same model and did it right? Kathy. And Kathy wasn't even an A. Kathy had her first season of like, hunky-dory, I'm going to show the kind of quirky persona that I built for myself and just, and like, you know, this is my entry and I'm just going to kind of play around and have fun. Second season shit got real. And that reunion? Mm-mm. That's Kathy fucking Hilton. I don't want to fuck with her. She literally saw, she goes, oh, so this is what they do to literally everyone. Denise Richards. Correct. And now me. Yeah. Got it. But that's what the Beverly Hills cast does. And Rinna got, Rinna, Rinna, oh, Rinna, Rinna got too cocky. Rinna, Rinna was like, Rinna is too cocky. Rinna was like, I can do this to anybody. It's easy. I can do it with my eyes closed. And this time she just didn't even put enough of an effort in. It did not work. Um, Okay. Let's go to another kind of easy one because I know this one's not too hard. Is Sonia's townhouse really that bad? Short answer, yes. It's great gardens. But here's the here's the reality. She got that fucking thing when she was married to a Morgan. She had the upkeep for a townhouse on the Upper East Side of Manhattan is absurd. Just the utilities, the bills, the cleaning, the just the maintenance is fucking nuts. Sonia makes a good amount of money from housewives. Mm-hmm. No way around it. But like... It's not like you walk in and you think the roof's going to cave down on you, but it's just like <laughs> it feels dated and a little like it, it could use some love. It could use some love. Okay. Okay. All right. It could use some love. We did call it Great Gardens that season, though. So just saying. Um, okay. So this one came in in all forms. And so I'm going to kind of combine a bunch of questions in okay. one. And this is about Jersey. All right. The first one, which was asked in multiple versions here it is did Teresa know that melissa and joe because carlos king as you know right. went on juicy scoop and said that and confirmed that they did not they did not that Teresa did not know and was blindsided and so now everyone's dying to know if this really is true okay so i was not there for this season however 
I have heard from multiple people who were that, no, Teresa didn't know. And she was blindsided at the christening. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Does the, quote, mob-style video (laughs) of Joe and Melissa saying they're going to take down Teresa (laughs) exist? Okay, let me explain it. Let me give a little context to this. Because, yes, it exists. However, so... uh, Again, I, I have not seen this. I am dying to see it. See it. So if anyone has it, please send it to Emily. And Emily, <laughs> please send it to me. Um, but I've heard about this. So there was a casting tape done of Joe and Melissa. I'm guessing it would have been during season two. Um, where they're together as a, an inter- a casting interview tape for being on the show. It was done either they were at or were going to a themed party that was like 1930s mob. So they were in costume. Okay. Sitting down, and which is looking ridiculous, and talking and answering questions that casting producers were asking them. I guess one of the answers that they were giving was something about like, I'm ready to come after Teresa and like put her in her place. I'm By the way, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm just going on memory from someone who has seen it and told me about it. Um... And that they are talking about, like, quote unquote, taking Teresa, Teresa down. So it does exist. <laughs> it is a casting tape that is probably locked in a vault at Sirens, which is the production company, never to be seen again. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the reality is this. And I've just, I've heard this from a couple of people over the years. Um, because Bravo, it's a very small world. You work on a lot of the different same shows with different people who've worked on other shows. You know, it's like, so for people who have worked on Jersey, and I worked on a season of it as well, um, Teresa was trying to get Joe and Melissa on the show in seasons one and two. Like, she would invite them to things. She would try to include them and try to get them there. Um and they would be at events. They just might not have shown up on camera. Mm. You know, you shoot yes. a four-hour scene, a four-hour party, it turns into a seven to ten minute, you know, a couple of acts in an episode. You're not seeing everything that was shot. And unless they're having a big conversation with Teresa or with someone else, they're probably, if you see them, it's going to be incidental and in the background. So Teresa was trying to get them on the show. So then when they did their casting tape and took a stand kind of against her in that and were cast on the show. She wasn't told. She then finds out that they're filming because the first day of production is Joey's christening. Mm. Little baby Joey. So she finds out at that time that they're on the show and they didn't tell her when she had been trying to get them on the show. And she's like, well, what the fuck is that about? Mm. So, and Teresa is not, as we all know, having watched her for many years, doesn't take so well, doesn't react so well when she feels like someone might be trying to pull one over on her behind her back. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. Doesn't like it. Not her strong suit. Not her strong suit. So, the way that she acts at the christening and then that kind of eventual blow up that ensues, it felt for me... Very performative by Joe and Melissa. I was going to say, and she they had an angle. They like they went in with an angle, mm-hmm. like exactly. they set her up to look like they had a script almost in mind. 
I would I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Like yeah. They were like, do what you always do and mm-hmm. walk away or do what you always do. Oh, she she's going to pretend to hold the baby like she doesn't always like she hadn't come seen the baby. Like they had that in mind. They oh, had they had that- those little points like mm-hmm. they probably had a notes and like, you know, OK, talk about this. This is something that I want to mention. And this is something I want to mention. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so obviously then the christening happened. And so the christening happened. And that was so, a mess. What's so interesting is that. Joe Gorga absolutely react. I mean, Joe Judice obviously came charging in too. Juicy loves a charge. Juicy loves a charge, but so does Gorga. Gorga and Juicy love a charge. And it's so interesting that Gorga was like, maybe I just don't remember the audience reaction because it was so long ago and it was before you had the social media immediate response. Absolutely. And I wasn't really dialed into it then. So I wasn't like looking at Twitter or anything like that. So I don't know. Yeah. But I just feel like, History feels as if it was on the Gorga's side. More so in like the audience response. Like poor little Joe. Joe just wants his father to love him. God, that's a really good. I don't remember. I remember remember the episode. I remember how it all played out. How the response was. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like. I I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like standing by Teresa was actually. Like if you were a tree stand. Mm -hmm. It was. You were. If you're a tree hugger, you're a tree hugger for life. Yeah. You are staying there. Yeah. You have chained yourself to that tree yeah, and yeah, yeah, the yeah. bulldozers come in and you're not moving. You're not moving. Um, but I do think if maybe you're seeing it from the first time and then you see G- uh, Gorga get like emotional with his father yeah. and like, you're my father, you're my father. Yeah, it's hard. Go talk to-, to your mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, yeah. you know, it, yeah. You definitely, look, that was the beginning of, in my opinion, the best era of Jersey. When you had the families. It was the families at first, too, with Dina and all that. But Danielle was always kind of the polarizing villain. And when you brought in Melissa and Joe, and then you also still had the Manzos, Dina was gone. But Dina didn't really Here, add that I will much. say this. The first seasons one and two are kind of like one long season because it's sort of just like a weird one off. Like it like. They had, you could watch those two and stop Mm -hmm. and you don't really need to, because they're just like different. Yeah. Or you could start at three. Well, in my opinion, three and four are one long season. Yeah. Because season three was airing while they were filming season four. That's right. So if you remember, season three reunion taped the day after they filmed the season four finale. Which was the posh fashion show. Which was the posh fashion show. Mm -hmm. So when... Jacqueline and Teresa get into that huge fight at the posh fashion show. The next day, they're supposed to show up to film the previous season's reunion. Jacqueline is so pissed, she doesn't show. And then we're off to the races. Like, And then while they were, so that when they were filming four, they were watching season three week to week. Oh my God. So if you watch season three and four again and watch them in succession with that in mind, it colors it very differently. It's, It's one, like, 40 episode season. Wow. Because, and and after that at Bravo, and it took a long time for them to change this or to do this again. And I think it was only Salt Lake City recently. They made a rule not to film seasons until after the previous season finished airing. That makes sense. Because it influences it. They watch it. They're on social media. They're getting influenced by all of a sudden when you're about to film a scene with that person the next day, the night before you're watching and seeing what they said in an interview about you that you oh, never no, no, knew no, no, no. from eight months ago, you are like wound up and then it doesn't make sense. And you're bringing up and bringing energy to that scene the next day, which yeah. is about something completely different, like pissed. And so it was, it was like a very, it was like a long epilogue. 
Yep. To season three is what season four was. Um, were they, do you, I can't, as I haven't watched in so long, were the producers then having to tell them like, don't talk about last season, keep it to this season? I think they probably were trying to, but yeah, you, but even if they didn't talk about it, the undercurrent is there. Yeah. The, the emotional undercurrent is there. Yeah. You know, the it must, tone, have, been, it must the, have been hard to keep it separate. Yeah. You couldn't. They literally, there was a mandate at Bravo after that to, yeah. to no longer do that. The only time they've done that since then that I can recall is Salt Lake City this last year, but it was because it got held it not held in post, but it took a while to air and they have to shoot that show in the, in the winter because of the visuals that they want. Mm. So they couldn't really avoid having where it fell in the schedule. It overlap with production, but I'm curious how that is affecting what we're seeing right now. A lot. On Salt Lake, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. If you're filming a show while the previous show is the previous season is airing, you are fucked as producers. Like yeah. that is just the truth because you are trying to, whether it was your season, the season before or not, so you have the knowledge. It's so much worse if it's like a new set of producers and you're having to fucking deal with whatever mess happened last year with different producers and you're like, well, what the fuck? It's it's not easy. It's not easy. Not at all. No. Here's one that you had an interesting theory on that I never even thought of. Why was there no Roni reunion, you think? Look, I, I have a theory. I have no idea if it's accurate. This is just from my knowledge of network workings um, because I was always really curious why it didn't happen. It's something that's like, it's an expensive, look, reunions are expensive to, to put on the production of it, but then also like the post staff and editors and turn, it's just, it's a lot of money goes into making a single episode of television, regardless of what it is. Yeah. Um, the one thing that had I had thought about that we had talked about was it's a little insider baseball. But basically, the way that when you the way that you sell ads on a show. So let's say you have Roni the season. You know they know that it's going to be airing on was it Wednesdays, whatever night at whatever time slot for this number of weeks, this number of episodes. When you're scheduling a network. You're scheduling like a year out and things can shift a week up, a week back. Maybe like we decide to change days, but usually you're scheduled about about a year out tentatively with little shifts here and there. In the upfronts, which is every May, that schedule for the future year is essentially taken out to all of your advertising buyers. And the ad buyers, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Lexus, whatever the, whoever the fuck it is, they say, we want to put X number of ads and buy X number of spots or buy this package that we want placed in these different shows. You know, it's a lot of nuts and bolts, whatever. And the way that they determine what the ad price is, is that there's a department in every network that's they're called the research department. So what they do is they put an estimate on the number of viewers that each episode will get. You know, if you if you underperform, you're shortchanging the client, which is the ad buyer. If you overperform, you're shortchanging yourself as a network because you could have gotten more money for it. Um, with Roni, I think that there were higher expectations going into this season. Because they're usually their number one. Because it's usually like number one, number two. It is a high performing show. It's probably estimated at a relatively high performance rate. It was underperforming. The ratings were shit. So Bravo was eating costs and mm. losing money mm -hmm. on the advertisements in that show week to week to week to week. That There's no way that, and I can't speak unequivocally, but there's no way that that show is performing at its estimates. There's just not. So if you're losing money week to week, there's also problems in the cast. Then you have to look at a cost-benefit analysis of 
okay, to put on a reunion with talent fees, with, uh, you know, the cost of just production, uh, set production, renting the venue, the editing staff to go through multiple rounds of cuts to do this. I mean, you're talking hundreds of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds totally. of a million dollars. Easy. Easy. Um, is it worth it? We've already lost enough money. The ratings are in the tank. The last couple of episodes didn't show promise of an uptick to make us think that maybe viewers are coming back. Mm-hmm. So they may have just cut their losses and said, you know what? The, the value is not worth the cost. Got it. It wasn't as emotional, because we all thought of course, Everyone like, thinks it's emotional. They're protecting Ramona. They're keeping Ramona. Uh, and you, no. you were the one who made me realize, like, you, they would never, pro- un- it, unfortunately, they'd never protect a cast member no, like that. No, well, not like that. No one cast member is bigger than the show. Yeah. The show is a multi-million dollar revenue driver. Yeah. And one person's feelings that are on that show are not a deciding factor for Comcast, NBC Universal, Bravo, or any one of the like or their, their advertising clients to be the reason why they would just like, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to want to, we're not going to want to make millions of dollars on ad space that has been promised or that has been put out there because someone sucks and we don't like their feelings. No, no one person's bigger than the show. And if it, you know, would I was wondering. Question, would it yeah. ever protect them? Them meaning Bravo. Yeah. Like, you know, because they had, they had Ramona on, um, Ultimate Girls Trip already? Would mm-hmm. it ever make them look better by saying, well, let's not show how bad Ramona is and we've been co-signing her this whole time? No. If they had a real strong feeling, they wouldn't invite her to the reunion. Okay. They wouldn't They wouldn't forego profit. They're, they're a corporation. They're a multi-billion dollar corporation. If they thought they looked bad because of Ramona on Ultimate Girls Trip, they would have just disinvited her to the reunion and carried on about it. Okay. That's how, at least that's how I would do it. And that's how I think they would too. Because those ad sales, baby. The entire network is money. run. The operating budget for the entire network. Every show that is produced is paid by the ad sales. Gotcha. That's just the truth. Yeah. That is, that's how we grow networks. That's how you have money to produce shows. That's just what it is. So if it was losing money for them for, how many episodes was it? Like 16? Yeah, it was short. Or for a maybe Roni, less. For so a, it was like 13. Yeah, for a Roni season. It was short. I think they probably reduced the episode order. If I were to guess. And they were just trying to cut their losses and make their losses as manageable and minimal as possible. And spending that money for a reunion with all fees associated, crew, venue, set decoration, art decoration, uh, the the number of cat, like the jibs. To produce a reunion show is a hell of a lot more expensive than to produce an episode of television normally. Oh, I bet. alone. Oh, I bet. You've got 10 cameras going. You've got jibs. You've got, I mean, it's just a different beast. They don't want to waste the money. Yeah. You know, totally. This episode of She Speaks Bravo is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I don't know if you all know this, but I have switched careers. Like I was a, I was in the restaurant industry for a decade and then the pandemic hit and I just out of necessity started a new business. And this whole podcasting thing was purely a hobby for fun. And now that I've figured out a way to monetize it, it's a little scary because it's so new and it's so foreign. And I just wish there was like a user manual, but not like a not like a YouTube video like, hey, how to turn your podcast into a multi-million dollar or whatever, because there's so many of those and they freak me out. You know, just like one user manual for me. But those don't exist. Or do they? It's called therapy. 
And I love it because I talk to my therapist and she helps me navigate. She turns me into like my own little tour guide of this crazy old world called life. And especially doing what I do from where I was before in my mental health, a lot of insecurities have come up, a lot of body issues, a lot of self-esteem, and it's it's triggering to be so public now. And now I've got tools to cope with that. I've got affirmations, I can say, and a variety of other coping skills I have learned through therapy. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash SheSpeaks. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash SheSpeaks. Okay. Okay. Next question is about like development and pitching Mm-hmm. what that process is like like and a lot of questions came in too about like how the whole thing how it goes with like the production companies and the networks like you know how like southern charm has its production company mm-hmm. evolution all that kind of stuff so let's start i guess with the first part of it which is like developing and pitching shows how does that work how does that look etc totally so it can go it can actually happen one of, of several ways you know it could be inside the network they want to they have an idea they want to develop and then they'll go out to a production company to develop a presentation that they commission okay. and they pay for like, you know, go shoot interviews and like go try to cast the thing. Here's the concept. Mm. Uh, once we find a cast that we're kind of, we're, we're good on, we settle on, we agree on, go shoot a uh, presentation, which is uh, part casting tape interviews, but also scene work to prove what the show will be to show like, Hey, if we, if we decide to commit millions of dollars and greenlight this thing to series, what's it going to be? Not just who are the cast, but scene work. Because frankly, you can be one person in an interview on Skype or Zoom or, you know, just kind of having, answering questions and having discourse in that way. It's very different when you're trying to like have a conversation with someone else on camera organically. And it just, it reads different. Some people I've seen cast on shows, even established shows that are like new cast members coming in that may have had a great casting tape, but that fucking flop in the show because Mm -hmm. they just can't, you know, bob and weave and kind of play ball with the other established cast members. So, but for a new show, it's the same thing. You do a presentation. It can be anywhere from... I don't know, 15 to 30 minutes. You want to be able to be long enough to get a sense of who the characters are, Mm. what the world is, what the hook is, the why now. um, Why is this something that we should spend millions of dollars on? Um, But you also don't want it to feel too long because people have short attention spans. Exactly. Speaking as someone who has ADD, Mm -hmm. I know that for a fact. And when when networks are viewing the potential uh, development series to to pick up to series, they do it at an offsite. Um, which is this kind of like they carve out three or four days in a week, twice a year, and 
all of the development executives get together in a room, they get like caring or whatever, and they watch all of the tapes. So they're watching oh. a bunch of different tapes in a row. Okay. So you've got to grab their attention. Oh, wow. You've got to like make it stand out, make it count, and make it be one of the five or 12 or 10 that, that are on the docket. Um, there are, you know, now there is also some rolling development stuff where like, you know, if it comes, if in offsites, let's say in June and in January, if something comes in in uh, February or March, you're, it's not to say that, oh, it has to wait until June. Like they may still kind of roll and pick up as they go, but old school, it used to be just like development offsites. So the network can commission it is one way. Another way can be a production company has an idea and they start to, they have the the resources to spend some money to find a cast, to hire a casting person, put out the feelers, get some people on tape, and, and kind of do the same thing. Then they'll develop, they'll have a casting tape, which is not totally cheap, but pretty cheap to produce. It's literally okay. just, at, at this point in time, it's, it's Zoom calls that you cut gotcha. together into packages with like social media posts. Like, here's this person. She's 24. She does this. Da, 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 da. Here's, you know, she's friends with so-and-so. X is with this person. And you get like kind of a oh. sense of who this person is. And you do little pods for all of them, which is, you know, a little bit of money, but not crazy. Oftentimes can be done like in-house. That you'll take and shop around to networks. Okay. Because a presentation, like a full presentation, like we talked about at a network for development, that costs money. Yeah. That can cost anywhere from like a hundred to $200,000, which yeah. a production company itself may not want to just spend the overhead on without any guarantee of a, a distribution partner, really, which is the network. So that production company may have a casting tape or a casting sizzle. That they'll shop out to different networks. So let's say it's an ensemble docu-soap. They, you know, of like 20 to 30-somethings. They may shop it to Bravo. They may, they'll shop it all around. Bravo, Hulu, Netflix, MTV, VH1, Lifetime. It, they'll take it out to the market and just kind of, you know, see who they get bites on. Um, there could be a bidding. So, you know, you can get multiple bites and you have to do like a bidding war. That's less and less like, like common these days. Or someone picks it up and you say, okay, now... Me, the network, you, the production company, here's X amount of dollars, go make a presentation. Okay. And now this presentation that you're going to do, we own because we're the ones who are fronting the money. So you're going to have development executives from that network who are working with the production company. You hire uh, an EP or a producer to produce it. You do a lot of prep and kind of figure out what the story is you want to tell in this short kind of truncated period of time to be a proof of concept, but also you know, stand out in a very cluttered landscape where there's a lot of noise and a lot of programming. And you go through that same motion. So they go, they produce the sizzle or the, the presentation tape rather. It goes through rounds of cuts, this, the rounds of notes and cuts the same way that an episode does. Oh, wow. You know, I did a presentation early this year, which I think ended up going through five rounds of cuts. Wow. With development execs as opposed to when you're on the series side with your pr current production execs. So there's a development team and a current production team that are that are separate. Um, and then the third, which is, I almost wanted to say more common, but it's also less common because it's very hard to just like unsolicitedly go out and try to shop a show. Um, let's say so you have an idea. I think that this concept would be great. I know people or I know people who know, I, I think that this would be a great show. I mean, how many times have any of us said that? Right. Um, you, you can go out as an individual and oftentimes these are people who are in the industry, producers, 
what and not necessarily high level producers, you know, mid level producers and, and up, like kind of field producers and up. I know who, people who have developed and sold concepts and shows. Um, you take some time because it does take time finding the right cast. You have a concept, but the reality is, in 2022 going into 2023. Almost every concept under the sun has been done. Exactly. There is nothing really groundbreaking and new. There are different spins to old formulas. There are different takes on old concepts. But what it really hinges on are the cast. Yes. The two shows that are exactly the same, one with a cast that just doesn't quite gel and another with a cast that is like a lightning in a bottle there, it's night and day. Yep. So it takes time to cultivate and find the right grouping, the right personality archetypes, the right kind of dynamics and different layers to be like, this is the one. Yeah. And what you'll do is, you know, you'll go and you'll cast a really wide net. You're talking to, let's say you know that these three people, like, I think there's a show around them, but let's talk to their friends and build out their universe more. Where are the secondary characters? Ooh, Where are the tertiary sense. characters? You want to cast a wide net because you never know, A, Everything is, opinions are subjective. So once you take it out to a production company, those executives may have their opinions and want to see other types of personalities. And then when you okay. go to a network with that production company, they may have other opinions and want other types of personalities. So like the grassroots uh, approach in a way is let's say I, myself, wanted to develop a show and I've developed shows before. Um, you know, I would say, okay, I'm going to go find this cast. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to, you know, get, gain some trust, ask them the questions, find out about the world, their friends, interview all of their friends, hire an editor or have a friend put together like a casting tape, a sizzle for me to sell the concept to a production company. Because right now I, could I go right to the network and then have them, if they love it, buy it, assign it to a production company? Yes. But I am, but it's, that's not... It's not how it often happens. That is less likely to occur. Gotcha. Is it feasible? Yes, but it's not. Not best practices. Not best practices, and it's just relatively uncommon. So instead, what you do is, me as the individual producer, I shop to production companies, Got usually it. with the help of an agent. Like, my agent would be the one who is saying, all right, for this show, I'm going to set you up with XYZ, like, you know, with Evolution, with... Uh, with Truly, Got with, it. you know, X, all, whoever production companies, and a ton. And the good agents will not let you take the first offer that's given to you and make sure that you partner with the right production company because that's important too. Because once that concept is out of your hands, you lose more and more control mm -hmm. as time goes on because then you're selling it to the production company and your deal better be good to be getting revenues on the back end. Okay. Then the production company has their hands in it and you want to make sure that they're, they a understand your vision. They trust you and they're not just cutting you out and saying, cool, here's a paycheck. Fine. So from there, you and the production company who has the infrastructure to take it out because it takes money. It's like to develop a show, it just fucking takes money. And me as an individual, I don't know that I want to sink $50,000, $100,000 of my own money with no guarantee of totally. a recoup. So uh, partner with a production company. You shop it around to networks. Totally. Network buys it. Then you proceed as planned. They give you the money. You have to develop it for an offsite. They go through rounds of notes. They greenlight it or they pass on it. And if they pass on it, this is an interesting piece. Whatever the, the presentation that you shot that they pay for, they own that. 
Yeah. So if they pass on it, it's different for every contract, but there's a period of time where you have to kind of let it be. After that period of time, you can take the concept back out to other networks, but not with the sizzle or the, not with the presentation that you shot for the other network. So like if I shot a show for NBC Universal, for Peacock um, or Bravo, and we did a whole presentation, it was great. I, I loved it. They ultimately decide to pass. And I'm like, you guys are out of your fucking minds. This deserves to be on TV. Well, I can't take that thing that we shot and just show it to another network, be like, you guys should buy this. But after, whether it's six months, three months, six a months. year, oh or whatever. God, that's a long time. Well, it's whatever's in the contract. I can then say, hey guys, there's this concept. I, you know, we shot a presentation with NBC Universal, which they own. But I think that you should consider picking this up because of X, Y, and Z, or at least let us shoot another presentation. I've seen shows that have shot multiple presentations oh. because they got passed on by the network, still got shopped around, and had to reshoot a presentation. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, it, development is like an arduous, arduous task. Wow. It is really hard to develop while you're actively working on other shows. Right? Because it's kind so of much to, time. You have to take time off. Yeah, totally. Or you have to be at a company and have the infrastructure to divide and conquer. Like, I, I'm doing development now. You're doing current productions now. Got it. Yeah. Okay, that's why there's usually two different departments. There, Yes, there are. Okay. Oh, that's good. Here's an easy one. This is from Bravo for the Rest of Us. What is Josh Flagg really like? Exactly how he is on TV. Is he always <laughs> drinking wine? Yes. <laughs> okay. Next question. No, uh, look... <laughs> Flag is unapologetically who he is. He has been for years. Ooh, sorry. Um, he's unapologetically who he is. Who he is on camera is who he is off camera. I will say, <laughs> this is what I will say about Flag, because I've worked with him a couple of times over the span of years. Um, he <laughs> Sometimes he is funny, but like he really does go for the caricature of it all. But he, in life, is a caricature. Right. But for the show, he tries to dial it up. He always thinks like, oh, let's do this. It'll be funny. It'll be it'll oh, be really okay. funny to do this. Okay. And I'm like, flag is not that funny. Oh, oh shit. Um, although one time it was actually pretty fucking funny. I can't remember if, was it he, I think he's the one who came up with the idea. When he sent Altman a glitter bomb to his new office. So it just, glitter went everywhere oh my god glitter's the worst yeah he knew that so it was season what was it season eight maybe when he was like all been moved into a new office and he's like we're gonna do a glitter bomb but that is kind of tracking to how flag is because he's awful and <laughs> you know entitled and could be a dick but he owns that yeah. he is unapologetically himself and i respect that about him right i can have fun with flag and then i also sometimes could want to murder him yeah yeah, totally. totally. But by the way, I could say that about almost every cast member I've say. ever worked with. So that is not something that is flag specific. But to answer the question, he's pretty much the same on camera as, as he is off. I will say this, though. Just a caveat and just put a button on that. Flag is a fucking savant talent when it comes to real estate. Really? That... When you meet him, you talk to him, you hang out with him, he can be aloof, he can be offensive, he can be, uh, like, all of these things. But when it comes to the numbers and it comes to, like, calculating comps and price per square footage and and what this should be and how it, how this should be done and how to go about a deal, it's like, he is, like, it's like an idiot savant. He oh. is so good at it. It wow. is, and it's surprising given him. Like, you expect him to just, just be like, eh, whatever, laissez-faire, laissez like, not anything. But he's a he's fucking good at it. 
Like he is. I, I mean, that. you know. I love that. Yeah, little surprise. Uh, okay, this one is, I don't know if this is interesting or not. We'll see how it goes. Regarding Roni specifically, but okay. also, I mean, I guess this is kind of go across the board. How do producers deal when the women get so drunk? So they basically so they don't get hurt. Like Sonia stepping on that glass mm-hmm. thing, like stuff like that. Go to sleep. <laughs> go to sleep. You send them home. You send him home. Yeah, that's look. The, Do the you response, literally step in and yeah. say, "We need to get you in, a, in an Uber and yeah. get you out of here." Yeah. At a certain point, look. You know, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that like part of the bedrock of some of the best reality content out there is based on booze, yeah, and other things. But if someone is like sloppy and has crossed over that line. First of all, that footage is not really usable. It's not, you're not getting good content out of someone who's blackout wasted unless, well, unless you're a certain type of show. But at the end of the day, speaking as an executive producer, it is my responsibility. While, yes, I have bosses above me. I have bosses at the production company and the network. Boots on the ground. The buck stops with me. Like, the responsibility if something goes wrong is on me. Yeah. So it's constantly doing a risk assessment of, is this person okay? Are they just wasted and like being sloppy and a little messy and it's fine. But once they get to a certain point where you're like, A, we don't need to get, we're not getting anything out of them and they couldn't deliver anything if they tried. At this point, it's just seeing a mess, like a messy train barreling towards a cliff. Get them the fuck out of there. Make sure they're safe. Get them home. Get them a car. Take them home and like put them to bed. You don't want someone to end up hurting themselves, end up tripping and falling, end up with fucking alcohol poisoning. Like, it's just, it's not worth it. Yeah. Safety is number one. Yes, we always want to get the shot. Yes, we want to get the content. But when it comes down to it, we're all human beings and we're all in it together. And that's also how I approach it with my casts as well. Is like, we're all here. We're all doing this thing together. Like, we can get notes from other people and whatnot, but, like, at the end of the day, it's you and me, guys. Like, we're the yeah, ones fucking day to in day. it. Day-to-day, in the trenches. It is not easy. And wrangling a bunch of drunk adults, adult children, ain't easy either. Um, but if someone's getting too drunk, if someone seems like their, their faculties are no longer with them, you get them home, you get them safe, you get them out of there. And that's full stop. Bottom line. Bottom line. I have just like a, this is probably a very immature question, but it's my own personal question. All right, shoot. The scenes where it's like, now we're going to be in a bathtub and now we're going to have sexy time. Not even just those, but also like when you're getting the shots of them waking up or sleeping, like are the camera guys ever so uncomfortable? No. No? Uh, well, waking up from sleeping, no. Um, Sexy time in a bathtub? Yeah. It could go either way. Cam- everyone's know. on everyone's on radio, right? Yes. Yeah, we're all on walkies. So when, like, the camera guy's in there with, like, Karen and Ray. Oh, poor guys. Is there some producer going, I'm so sorry? Yes. Like, I would definitely be in Village being like, I, so-and-so, I am so sorry you're dealing with this. I am. I'm really sorry. It's yeah. going to be good TV, though. Yeah, because, like. <laughs> or, or they'll, honestly. 
there's a lot of fun little banter on walkie. Yeah, like, that, that was my favorite part when I when I did work on set. Yeah. Was just the shit you say back and forth. You shit talk. And you're like, this fucking asshole. Like, yeah. what the fuck are these guys doing? Yeah, okay. You really sleep with your wife that often. Yeah. Like, you know, ah! it's like, we'll just banter and, and things that no one should ever fucking hear. But like, yeah, the thing is, we're all colleagues. Like, mm-hmm. we are all in it together. Mm-hmm. And it is not an easy job. It is a, especially for the crew, it is a physically demanding, strenuous job. These are people who are lifting things yeah. that are holding 40, 50, 40 exactly. pound cameras on their shoulders at all times. If you're audio, you've got like a 35 pound rig on a strap to your back for like hours and hours yeah, a day. I think of that all the time. Yeah. So I, A, I never want to like overshoot. I'm a, a very big kind of not overshooter. If the scene is done, if the scene's scheduled for two hours and you've got it in an hour and 15, Go for an hour-long lunch instead of a half hour. That's nice. So you don't need to just overshoot and beat a dead horse. If you've got one you needed, cut um, for that reason alone. But yeah, I mean, is it ever uncomfortable? I'm sure it can be uncomfortable. Is it, in my personal experience, sometimes more like comedy Yeah. on walkie? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Because this, okay, for example, I, when I worked on a crew, it was for a scripted movie. Mm-hmm. It's so, so different. Totally. Because you're like... Action, cut, action, cut. These guys are like following people around and going where the action is. So they, it's a very different thing. And so if that's where the scene is going, they're like, oh, looks like we are now in the bathtub. In the bathtub. Sure are. Like when Whitney and Justin did like the mud, the whatever the hell that was. Even Whitney admitted, she's like, it kind of just got out of hand. Yeah. I was, we were drunk and like, (laughs) I didn't expect it to go that far. She's like, I regret it. Yeah. I can see it being like going either way. I think it depends on the person too. Here's the thing. We're all individuals. We're all people who have different reactions to different kind of stimuli, right? So one, if we have two cameras on a scene, one camera operator could be like, this is really uncomfortable. I wish I wasn't shooting this. And another one could be like, these fucking idiots. Right. They're going to look like morons on TV. Right. So like, it's just, it's just about the person. Totally. I never want to put anyone in in an uncomfortable situation. I'm never the person who's calling to like, not that I really know anyone who is, like, bust in a door if you think people are having sex. Like, no. Oh, my do, God. I'm just <laughs> saying. Like, that's, that's the, like, extreme, right? No, I could not imagine. Absolutely not. No. But um, more often than not, it's a lot of, like, banter and, like, making fun in an innocuous way of, like, the ridiculousness of the situation. Okay. That's, that's better. That makes me feel better about it. Right. Or like, you know, I always or, or a little real, thing on walk. bad for them. What <laughs> if someone does something like really affectionate, but like gross and you're like, vomit, uh, <laughs> you know, like little commentary like that. <laughs> okay. This last segment is kind of all tied together. Okay. And, and so it, you'll understand what I'm saying. We sort of touched on it a little bit. Comes from Bravo and Blaze. Uh, you you did already touch on this a little bit, but what does Bravo or NBC push on producers the most as far as their goals go? And I'm assuming that means like at the top of a season, kind of what you said, like, hey, we want so-and-so to propose. Right. Or like, what's the main agenda that you would get? I'm assuming she means like at the going into seasons. Like, what is it that they generally tell you guys they want if there is a general That is an interesting question. So what the network will push on kind of producers the most, it is their kind of subjective ideas for what they want certain storylines to be. But the way that it really works is this. At the beginning of the season, you know, in pre-production, 
the producers, myself, we'll talk with all the cast. We'll start to catch up, see where they're at. And it depends. If it's a new show, you're, you've been talking to them for a while. You're kind of crafting what their, their stories are overall. But even if it's an established show that you're returning to, it's like, you know, for a, for a Southern Charm, for example, I'll touch base and be talking with all of the cast members about what's been happening in the offseason, where they're at now, what they have coming up, how they're feeling about what's going on in their lives, how they're feeling about what's going on with everyone else. Here's another little tidbit. I mean, or not even a tidbit. It kind of goes without saying. You get the most information about anyone from everyone else, not that person themselves. Ooh. Like the, the person will try to, if, I, if I'm a cast member, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm doing this and that and everything's great and this and that and the other thing. And then you'll talk to all of my friends and they'll be like, oh, she's a mess. Like she says that she's doing this, but she hasn't done a fucking thing. And I know that this person has been waiting on payment for this or that person has been like, you know, just like all of the, you'll get all of the shit from everyone else. So by talking to everyone, you get a clear picture on each person, but it's just not one-to-one. It's not like I tell you what's going on with me and that's what's happening. Um, they wish it was, they wish at least with the interpersonal stuff too. It's like, you'll find out everything from everyone else. The best trained cast are the ones where when something happens, when cameras are not rolling, they're picking up the phone and they're calling producers and being like, yo, just so you know, this is going on. This is what's happening. Like, you know, keep you in the loop. Um, at the beginning, but at the beginning of a season in pre-production, you're talking to all of the cast. You're starting to think about, okay, where's everyone at, at this (coughs) moment in time? Like, where's everyone at in this moment in time? in their lives, both from, and you look at it from a couple different approaches. One is like a personal story, which if you're an A cast member, you have to have a personal story of some kind, whether it is family, whether it is professional, whether it is just a personal struggle, struggle that is outside of the interpersonal dynamics within the friend group. Okay. Okay. So, and then you have stories of where is everyone at with each other? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's, if it's an established series and there was a rift at the end of last season, where does that dynamic stand? Okay. If it's a couple that was together and are still together, but maybe on the rocks, are they going to break up or are they going to stay together? If it's a couple that's going really well, are, what's the next step? Here's the thing with shows. It's like you film a show for, from anywhere from like, Eight to 16 weeks, right? Which is a big range, but like yeah, two, right? to, two to four months, typically for the types of shows that are on Bravo are like, that's the production cycle. Gotcha. Unless you're a million dollar listing, which films for a lot longer because you're covering real estate deals, which just take inherently okay. longer to do. But for like a docu-soap, like we talk about Housewives, Vanderpump, Summer House, Southern Charm, it's, uh, it's, it's two, three, four, five months. And I just want to docu-soap. Yes. Most of us don't know what that means. So. Uh, different types of shows. Uh, there is a format, which is like a, um, I'll try to just think of it in the Bravo space. Tabitha Salon Takeover. I'm going to go old school. Yeah, it is I a love formula show. show where, it's a format show where every episode, Tabitha goes into a salon, assesses the problems, gives her special brand of like hard love and hard, you know, hard advice, makes them turn it around and then you get the reveal. It's yeah. like, it's very kind of A to B to C to D. There's measurable benchmarks. You know, million dollar listing for a long period of time was also a, very much a format where every episode you'd have the three agents going from listing agreement or, you know, to sale and closing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the episode. That has loosened up a little bit in, in recent years. Then you have like the OcuFollow. And that, what was that called? Format? That's a format. Format show. And format can be that or it can also be like a competition. Like Top Chef is a format show. Every episode, you have this number of contestants. They have a mini challenge. They have a main challenge. And at the end, you're judged and someone goes home. It's a it's a formula. 
Okay. Um, then you have in the docu space, and there's a few different prongs off of that. So like an uh, an OcuFollow. OcuFollow, okay. Which is like a hybrid of occupation and docu. So Vanderpump Rules. The basis around Vanderpump is that is it is a group of young 20-something, you know, wannabe model actors who work at a restaurant in West Hollywood and have known each other a long time and are friends, frenemies, dating, fucking, breaking up, et cetera, and, and all of that. But it's based around a place of work. Got it. Um, and then a docu soap is an ensemble show, whether it is all female like Housewives or co-ed like a Summer House or a Southern Charm, and it is following their day to day lives. And it is a bit of a soap, you know. It is there is drama, there is conflict, but what I think a lot of people get lost in because the dramatic moments are always the noisiest in the landscape and the most water cooler is that the best. The best docu-soaps, yes, they have drama and conflict, but they're equally, if not more so, balanced with hu- with humor and heart. Mm-hmm. Because the the truth of the matter is, if you if it's just drama, if it's just loud, if it's just kind of in your face all the time, you're bad girls club. You're yeah. you know you are it is just screaming your head off, and there's no real depth. The one thing I will say about Bravo specifically is that depth is important. They may not always be able to live in the nuance, but depth is important. Humor and heart. That's why, like, Atlanta was so enjoyable. Yes. Or Southern Charm. You have them screaming at each other, but then you have Craig Austin and Shep trying to do a barbecue and, like, Googling how to fucking smoke meat. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you fucking morons, but it's hysterical. Yeah. You you know, it's, (laughs) there's, there has to be a balance. Um, So, yeah, DocuSoap is an ensemble documentary style soap. But it's soapy, it's fun, it's kitschy, it's silly, it's dramatic, it's, you know, it's all of those, like, all of the ingredients that go into that recipe. Love it. We know all of them, right? I mean, yeah. And they're on, it's not just Bravo, you've got VH1, you've got yeah. MTV, you've got Lifetime, and all, all across the board, the streamers, all of them. Um, anyway, going into, back to the, the question asked, going into a season, we'll talk to all of the cast, figure out what's going on in their lives. I will put together a, a write-up for the network of each cast member, like maybe like an overall mission statement of, hey, here's where, like, here's what we think kind of the, the general themes are going to be of the season. Then you go and bucket into each cast member. Here's where we last saw this person. Um, okay. You know, here's where they are now. Okay. And here's what we think is coming up. And in a lot of those write-ups, it's the way that I like to do it is you're asking questions. So I'll, I'll just take, uh, you know, an, ex- an example from recent, because we just watched the reunion, from like Southern Charm. You could have like Craig, for example. At the beginning of the season, you, you know, someone could have said to Craig, you know, after years of being, you know, the butt of all the jokes in Charleston, he's finally created his pillow empire and is making his way to being the male Martha Stewart of Bravo. He's opened up the store on King Street for sewing down south. It's doing really well. He's starting to see someone in New York, i.e. Paige, though they're not exclusive. He may have also had a recent dalliance with an ex in Naomi and is trying to suss that out. Right now, he's coming in feeling a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about Craig and Austin, feel, excuse me, Shep and Austin, feeling as though they don't support him, and he's been trying to live kind of a new path and be like the better man. But 
when he returns, is that going to bite him in the ass? Are his friends going to welcome him back with open arms because they feel like he may have abandoned them? Will his relationship with Paige be able to withstand the return of his ex-girlfriend who he recently hooked up with? Will, you know, you kind of, you ask these questions. Okay. So, so it's not, in the beginning of the season, planning out the storylines, we can say like, from a personal story, okay, sewing down south. Well, they just launched the store. So for that, there's like, we're going to want to see him track the, track the success as he tries to partner with this new company for a bigger distribution to then find this and, and get that and, and move on. But then on the interpersonal side, it's like, here's how he is with the group dynamic now. Here's where it could go. And what I always hate to see is when like, shows or producers write out that document because everyone has to fucking do this document. It's so annoying. <laughs> it's like nine pages long and you're like, I have a million other things I need to be doing. Yeah. But yes, I'm going to sit here for hours and hours and write this fucking document. <laughs> Network, I will always write the document. Please keep hiring me. Um, but it's always pontification. Anyone who says this person is going to end up doing this or saying that, it, you know, it's, it's a lie. It's completely made it's, um, up. It's made up. If you want me to tell you exactly how on, on a show about a group of friends, it's impossible that's a, that's a for docu you to soap, be you want, sure. Yeah. If you want me to beat out episode one, like tell you what we're going to film and what we're going to cover, episode one I can probably do. But I've had people ask me for episodes one, two, and three, and I'm like, okay, well, episodes one, I can kind of gauge, totally. but you never know how it's actually going to go. Two and three, that is just a creative writing exercise, and frankly, it's a waste That's of my so time. true. Because I have no idea what's going to happen in two, because what happens in two is dependent on what happens at the end of one, at that all-cast event. And if that goes one way, it could go this way. If it goes another way, it could go that way. Like, it is an exercise in futility. So you give general broad strokes. And Throughout the season, that happens a couple of times. Like mid-season, you typically have another one of those where you say, all right, here's where we started. Here's where we're at now. Based on everything, here's where we're planning to go. Okay. And then that's for every cast member. And then maybe like a couple weeks before the end of the, mm. of the show, you do it the final one. Ooh. Here's how far we've come. What, we're, what we'd like to get to round out the season is this. You also don't want to have everything wrapped up in a nice little bow. Mm -hmm. Not everything needs to be tidy and neat. Right. Because that's not life. These shows are a hyper-realized version of reality. I have cast members talk to me all the time and say, like, you know, this is like therapy on steroids. Because a conversation you would have with a friend, let's say you're in a fight with a friend because of some shitty thing that they did, in real life, quote-unquote, you may not actually talk to that person about it for three weeks. You've got a job. They've got a job. You're busy. You're not seeing each other every day. That's true. What, but on a show, you're seeing each other every week. So a conversation that would organically happen that you would have, but it might be a couple weeks down the line, we're going to ask you to have it in a couple of days. Mm. It's not something that you wouldn't do. It just is expedited. It's mm -hmm. sped up. So, mm -hmm. so, some, so events in life within a group of friends that may have naturally unfolded over a year will unfold over three and a half, four months. Mm. But I, the way that I approach things is I, I don't want it to be inauthentic. I want it to be coming from a place of truth. And it is our job as producers to help them suss through their feelings, confusions, and, and give them a platform to land on how they want to approach it on their own. That really or ties into so many, other, like another question is, do you get annoyed when a cast member produces themselves too much? And can you tell? Every fucking time. Yeah, exactly. They're not that. Guys, you're not going to fool us. 
If there are any people on shows listening to this now, you don't actually fool us. We know when you've set it up beforehand. We know when you've talked beforehand. Not even like when it was some big conspiracy. Hey, guys, we're going to go in and we're going to talk about this and this is how we're going to spin it. No, literally, like if you had a fucking conversation on the phone talking about the scene that you guys are going to shoot in a couple hours or a day or whenever and you kind of talk through bullet points, we know. And it fucking sucks. And you know what? Not for nothing. I think the audience knows too. Of course it reads we do. Inauthentic. Rinna going over to Erica's house with what's his face and talking about her drinking problem. I'm sorry. That wasn't even worthy of a Razzie. What is worse than a Razzie? That was you horrible. You guys pre-planned that. You talked about it ahead of time. And it was bullshit. It was bad. It doesn't read well. And frankly, it makes our job harder as producers. And it makes me not want to give you benefit of the doubt. And it makes me want to fucking expose you. Don't fuck with what we do guys. Like here's the thing. Any cast member on a show, if anyone who's on, on a show or on Bravo listens to this podcast, you know, we are all in this together. It is all a job for all of us. You know, you guys are certainly in the public eye more and take more of the heat a hundred percent. We take the heat too, but not by name necessarily. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. So the, and, and I can absolutely be empathetic and appreciate that. However, when you are trying to be subversive in the process, it hurts everyone. And the hard part is the show is what gives them the career. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest thing is when you want to be a reality TV star, the best reality stars are the most raw, the most vulnerable, the yep. most flawed. Flawed and vulnerable. The hard, put it all out there. And the best lines, for, like the most memorable quotes and yep. moments are when they're in the middle of the most harrowing experience. Yeah. Like, because that's when the wall is down. It's not about the pasta. James was losing his mind. I'm sure he doesn't like seeing that over and over again. Cause he no. was like in the, th- he was wasted and in the throes of his addiction. If I don't even know if he's sober I, anymore, but you know what I'm trying yeah. to say? No, a lot of cast members can't watch the shows back. Yeah. And those moments that we constantly talk about, those I'm sure are not their favorite life moments. No, but that's what we, like from reality TV stars. Exactly. So to be willing to be that way, I get it. Not your favorite thing to do. Mm-mm. But unfortunately, as a producer, that's what you're kind of trying to get them to do. Yeah. And it's almost like traumatizing. <laughs> so 100%. Like you're about for to all go, parties involved. For all parties involved, you're about to be traumatized, but it's going to make the show great. And isn't that what you also want? It's a very confusing process. It is. And it's an Honestly, a lot of it is judgment calls. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Like you, the reality of the fact is that when you produce on in the field, I'll say, as opposed to like in the post side, because mm-hmm. there is a certain level of removal on the post side where you don't have to take the calls from two, at 2 a.m. from them. You don't have to uh-huh. see them every day. Um, but in the field, you know, you are you don't want these people to just blow up and crash and burn. You want them to have you want to set them up. For, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. It's not setting up them up for success as if you're trying to like um, coddle or to like make them seem a certain way that they're not. You want to put the onus in their hands. Yeah. You want them mm. to have the platform and the opportunity to sail or fail. And that is on them. So, you know, I'll have hours and hours long conversations. Producers who I work with will have hours and hours long of con- like hours long conversations with cast members running through scenarios because they're trying to figure out how to approach something or what to do. And a lot of it is not, it's not telling them what to do. It is saying, if you do this, this is how it could go. If you do that, this is how it could go. You know, it's kind of running scenarios with them and also validating what they're thinking and feeling 
while also being able to, in my opinion, the best producers are the ones who can kind of speak to both sides yeah, a little bit and can be a little psychopathic in like, you know, you have two people who hate each other or, or are exes or are just sworn enemies and be able to tap into something to relate to both of them independently. Like mm. understand where both of them are coming from. Be fair. Even if personally you feel a certain way, like separating that, compartmentalizing that and really trying to look at it objectively like a fucking therapist. And we are a lot of what you do as producers. That is, is such a good point. Psychology. It really is. It's understanding what may be, what make people tick what pressure points people have, what triggers people have, and why they react in certain situations the way that they do. And oftentimes that's something that stems from something deeper. And is that deeper thing worth exploring? Mm. Is that the root of the cause? And is that worth, you know, where the pivot is? That's why I think I like dissecting reality TV. Exactly. That really transitions great into this next one. How do you react when your cast member is making a bad choice, such as picking a losing fight, not letting go of something? And it's something that you know that will hurt them with the audience. Do you let them fall or try to steer them a different direction? And also, do the producers fight each other behind the scenes for or with their cast? Oh, that's a really good question. I know. I like that question a lot. Um, That'll be the last question. Okay. It's a good, that's a good closer. It's a closer. It's a good closer. Um, Generally speaking, we let them fall on the sword. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's it's not that simple. Because we talk to the cast as often as we do, it's usually not something that just comes completely out of left field. But you're always having this discourse of, like, role-playing a little, uh, in a, a little bit of, okay, you want to go and say this, or you want to go and do that. I know in my head, like, that's not going to go well, guys. Okay. Like, this is not the way to go about it. But you feel that in your truth, and that's how you would want to handle it. Who am I mm-hmm. to tell you not to do it that way? I may raise scenarios of how to respond if X, Y, or Z, but I'll never tell you not to do it. Um, conversely, yeah, producers will definitely, we won't fight, but we'll have discourse over like how to approach something because the way that I like to also staff my shows and and the types of producers and, and people that I gravitate towards generally are people who have different opinions and backgrounds than I do. I'm a big fan of bringing in a group of people to produce and work on a show that come from different walks of life, that come from different backgrounds, that have different experiences that inform the way that they view the world and the way that they view people. Um, there are certain benchmarks and certain things that I look for in everyone, but I like having a very kind of diversified and well-rounded team of producers okay. because just because I'm the executive producer does not mean that my idea is always the right one. Got it. My idea comes from my own background, my own history, and my own experience. You may have a different background and experience, and you may come from it in a place that I could never even think of because it's just not in my in my purview. A purview, but it's not just in, it's not a top of mind for me. And I always love to have that discourse. I love to sit down with the team and be like, okay, so this is what's happening. So-and-so is doing this. What do we think? Or I think we should do this and have someone challenge me and be like, listen, I actually don't think that's the right way to go. I think we should do X, Y, or Z. I love that. And it definitely happens. Like, you know, it's not like we all or certain producers are like, oh, I'm always going to be team so-and-so, or I'm team this the other person. 
it doesn't necessarily work like that. That to me is also, that can be a red flag. Like there has to be a level of objectivity, which is hard because you are living, breathing, you're living and breathing these people's lives. Like yeah. you are living in their skin almost when you're, when you're producing a show, um, in a not creepy way, but like their lives are consuming you because yeah. that is what your job is. And if you're a good producer, you are immersed in their lives and emotions. And that's not easy to shake. Like yeah. that doesn't just turn off when you, punch out of a clock that's not what this job is um so there's definitely attachments that form there's definitely opinions and 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 um what's the word i'm looking for not out not alliances but like people f- have an allegiance to certain mm. cast members that maybe maybe on some level they see themselves in or like oh. they're like oh I, you're not seeing the other side of this person that i see they have more to offer I'm just pontificating oh, but good. like it's that sort of thing so there can be discourse and i am a very big fan of discourse in life across the board, but definitely also within a producing staff. Um, as it comes, uh, you know, as it pertains to, if I know that a cast member is about to like make a fucking mistake and that is not going to go well, I'm not stopping them from doing that. Absolutely not. That is their choice. I can give them all of the kind of ideas or tools to navigate a situation. I can role play with them. Some don't want to role play. Some are like, I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm like, all right, girl, you got this. <laughs> go for it. And I go back to village and I turn to whoever. I'm like, well, this is going to not go well. Um, Oh, no. This is not going to end well. Uh, Can we make sure that we have a camera Uh, like locked on (laughs) so-and-so? So-and-so is about to do this. This person's going to have a reaction. Other cameras look for other reactions. Like, that's the thing. You'll just plan for it. You'll say, make sure we have a single on this person. Make sure we have a single on the other person. And then you hold a wide in case anyone runs. Go after them. (laughs) You... I want you to rove and get singles of everyone else's reactions. Look for the biggest ones. That's what, that's how I'll do it. Um, because free will, man, free will. This is not, you know, the shows that I do and the shows, most of the shows that are on Bravo, they're not scripted. They're not They're Like we have certain topics of conversation that we know we want to hit, but a lot of it comes from what the cast are honestly feeling and thinking. And if one person feels a certain way and they feel strongly about it and we know like, you're back in the wrong horse or this is not going to be received well. Like watching Giselle go and pull Candace aside. Yeah. Right? Here's a perfect example. I did not work on Potomac, but you have all that happened with Ashley and Candace. Ashley pulled her aside one-on-one. It was done the right way. Candace definitely knew it was coming, but she handled it well and she diffused it, moved on. Then you're at an all-cast event where you know that that's the expectation is like bigger story driver. And Giselle pulls her aside and Candace is like, not today, Satan. Mm-mm. Literally, she said that, right? Not today, Satan. Yep. I think she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, and, you know, if, if it were me, if I were in Village and Giselle was like, I got this, I got this. I'm going to go talk to her. Uh, okay. You got it, girl. You, abs- you go say your piece. You do you. She leaves the room. This is not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Like, it is that, like, you yeah, know. But you're you not going to stop them because here's the thing. You, as a producer, you are not supposed to um, puppeteer as much as people think that we do. We don't puppeteer what happens. If someone is feeling a certain way, we give them the platform and the tools to say that. What they say and how it falls out and what comes of that, that's on them. We follow. Question about how often do you jump in to say like, okay, wait, we need you guys to say this in this scene. Like, I know you have certain scenes where you like, we need to set up that we're about to go on this trip or yeah. whatever. How often do you do that? 
Um, I mean, as per- me personally, or just as producers, as producers, the producers who are running a scene in the field, they'll, you know, the, the, the hope is that you step in minimally. Mm-hmm. Sometimes cast members just need a little bit more heavy handed, handed producing. And by that, I mean, just keeping them on track. Um, and some just need like a little pop and Hey, we got everything we need. We just need this one thing. So what we do is we write these, uh, story, like talking points that are for each scene topics of conversation. We know that we just left this event. So we're going to talk about fallout of what happened with of what happened with these people at the party last weekend. We know that this is going on in this person's personal life that's in the scene, so we want to talk about that. And then we know that we're driving towards a, a cast trip this weekend where some people aren't getting along, so, you know, anticipation slash pontification about what's going to go down. Like, and there's going to be a bunch, there's probably going to be 10 to 15, like, topics. But the reality is... We know that three of them we need for the edit. Got it. We need to follow up on what we saw the last episode. We need to get a state of state of where we are now. And then we need to push towards whatever we're setting up. And not every scene has those three benchmarks, but like just as an example. Yeah. Everything else is extraneous. Um, So the way that I always like to produce and the way that I like my producers to produce is to, it's like you got to listen. You may have a, a 10 bullets of things that like were written for the scene, Oftentimes it's for options for posts. So like Mm. in three scenes with three different groupings of people, they may be talking about some of the exact same things. So that post has options so that for this scene, they don't have to use these things. They can just use this one. The next scene, they can use something else, but they have the other stuff to play with just in case they want it. I'd rather give them more options than less. Mm. But the best scenes are the ones where they're, they're not oversaturated with too much information. In every scene, you should learn something new. It shouldn't, ju- it shouldn't just be a rehash. If it's a rehash, you need to get a new opinion. Oh. Right? Every scene should move the needle in some capacity. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. If it's just a, re- a regurgitation of something else, it's a waste of air And time. that is why, I because I recap, that's why I get annoyed. Because yeah. I'll be like, okay, there's no point in me recapping this scene. We've already talked about this. Yeah. What's the point of this? There's no point. You should learn something new mm-hmm. in every in every scene in some way, whether it's a new feeling from someone, mm-hmm. whether it's that someone has thought about it and marinated, marinated on it and, and now has a new mm-hmm. point of view, whether it's someone who hasn't heard it before and it's a new piece of information passing on to them or they have another piece of information to add on that the viewer doesn't know. The viewer should learn something new in every scene that drives it forward. If it's just stagnant, then it's just, just a regurgitation over and over again. It's like I always say to my producers – like you got, they should be listening anyway, but like, listen, these two things that we need just for connective tissue, like setting up that they're going to a party this weekend. Okay. They, so and so, whatever. But if anything more interesting happens, the rest of it, fuck it. Get rid of it. Follow what's, what's going on. If someone says something that you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Go in there and be like, uh, you just said that. I'd love to know what you think of that or like elaborate more or like, let's talk more about that. What do you mean by that? Ask, it's, the best part of producing is asking questions. It's not telling them things. It's asking them questions so, so that they think about it themselves and asking them questions in a way in which maybe it makes them think about it a different way and gets them to the place where you want them to be, but they think it's their idea. That's, that's the best hard. producing. The best producing that's is imposing your idea on someone else and making it think that it's their idea. That's hard for like veterans, you know, when you've yes. got like the cast of Beverly Hills, for example, yeah. who think that they're running the show. Well, this season they kind of were. Yeah, exactly. It felt, at least it felt like they did. Like, I feel like a producer can't walk in on a scene with Rinna and be like, hey, let me trick you into 
exploring yeah. a new thing because she walked in ready to perform a scene regardless of what anyone else said. Oh, 100%. You know? So it's probably easier with like maybe a newer cast, but I'm sure it gets, that's why I always say it gets harder and like every show has a harder. bit of a shelf life because the cast starts to learn the game. Oh yeah. The cast starts to realize what the producers are savvy. doing and they're like, I know what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Like Shaw's, it got real obvious. Shaw's like, Reza was like, I know exactly what the fuck you guys are doing. Like, mm-hmm. Oh shit. They, once they start to learn what's they happening. They learn the tricks. That's why with Vanderpump Rules, those early seasons are so glorious because they were like wide-eyed and ready to do anything production wanted them to do. Vanderpump is one of the best trained casts yes. on all of television. I know yes. a lot of the producing staff on that um, that were there, whether they're still there or not, they were there for the first like eight seasons. Wow. Um, and it was a lot of consistency as well. So you were not coming in with new pro- – if there were a new producer here or there, sure, but the core group of producers were the same year after year. Yeah. So there was already trust built. And that's another thing with casts that start in like their early to mid-20s on a show and that have longevity. Oftentimes, the producers, not the executive producers, but the producers were with them day to day, day in, day out, the ones taking their calls at midnight, the ones that are talking to them at scenes – they're probably in or around the same age range. Mm-hmm. So if you're with a cast for a long time, you kind of grow up together. Yeah. And you, there's a trust built. And once there is trust, and I always say to every fucking cast I work with, whether I've worked with them for 10 years or two weeks, like trust is the most important thing. You need to trust that whatever you tell me about anything or anyone will never leave me. Like, or my team. Uh, you can come to me and tell me that you were feeling a certain way about someone else in the cast or you have a certain thing or they did something. I will never blow up your spot. Full stop. But that trust goes both ways. And I need to trust that the conversations that you and I have in private stay private. But that's also like you look at last week's episode of Potomac when Candace and is it Evan is in Eric. Eric? Eric, the the, the EP. EP. Eric, yeah. When she's talking to him and she's like, you knew. You knew that this was going to happen. Well, by the way, of course he knew it was going to happen. Duh. But his response was perfect. And it's the exact same thing that I would say. I can't control what they say any more than I can control what you say. And she's like, you're not wrong. (laughs) Like, because that's right. And, And by the way, them coming to me and saying this and me not giving you the heads up, the subtext is like them doing that. Would you want me to give them the heads up when you come to me and say that you're going to go do something to them? Yeah. No, it's about trust. Yeah. And trust is the most important thing when it comes to the producer talent relationship. Hands down, full stop. That's a good way to end it. Ooh, that was good. There we go. Ooh, that sounds good, right? Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Well, I'll, I'll only call you EP from now on. Appreciate it. Even you. in our real life. Okay, fair enough. That's it. I forget your real name. I'm going to change my birth certificate to just be E, e- period, B, e- period, period. Um, okay, well, I usually, this is when I'm like, tell the people where to find you. So don't, I can't do that. Find me occasionally on uh, Reality Bites. On Reality Bites. There we go. I do a little resident co-host, co-hosting over there. But by the way, Emily, this is, this is my first non-Reality Bites experience. And thank you for making it so easy and fun. Well, duh. Easy breezy. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks. See you next time. Bye.
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to support me, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash she speaks bravo and buy me a coffee or two or five. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, She Speaks Bravo with Emily Hanks. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Thank you guys. I'll see you on Instagram or TikTok at She Speaks Bravo. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.